Jesus had told them explicitly this was going to happen. He was going to die, and, and here it is now. It's happening. And Jesus, he, when he came on the scene, he said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And this is what the kingdom is like. He said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so this is, now it's, it's happening. He's demonstrating what his kingdom is like here on the cross as he dies. And this is a totally upside down kingdom because the kingdom of the world says, you know, what can you get for your life? But God's kingdom is about giving up your life for others. As we understand his kingdom in his way, and if we can grasp it and by faith we can enter into it, we can know and understand life as he intended it, but apart from that there's frustration. I don't know about you, if, if you're anything like me, life is full of frustration and fear. There are, there are things that are not going in life the way that we would want them, whether it's a relationship or a struggle at work or a financial struggle or a family thing. There's just frustration, but there's also fears in life, things that we're worried and, and things aren't going the way we would want God to have them go and God's timing isn't what we want his timing to be. And when that happens, when the frustration and the fears bubble up, it's often because we are failing to grasp the mystery of the kingdom, the truth of this kingdom that Jesus has established in this world. This morning, as we focus on this text, and as we consider the king crucified, what will become, it, this kingdom of God is unlocked for us. It's totally uncovered and unmasked. There's no more secret. There's no more mystery. It all gets blown wide open for us to see and understand and experience. So I hope for us, as we see and understand and experience this kingdom, that we might, we might be able to live into it by faith. That we might be able to put aside our fear and our frustration and understand life as he intended. So that's the hope this morning. And now we're going to focus on three things. Really, in verses 33 to 38 here, I want to think about the darkness, the death, and then the door. So the darkness, the death, and the door. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider these things, and we consider your great love, and we consider your power, and of Jesus Christ giving his life, on our behalf, Lord, we pray that you just open our hearts to see you and to see your kingdom and that by faith we might embrace it and enter into it and live in it as you intended, Lord. But we need your grace and we need your wisdom. So, Lord, we pray that you would give those things to us as we look at your word. This thing fell straight off while I was praying. <laughs> Can I just use this? Sorry about that. 
it may seem a little bit of a jump to, we're finishing our sermon series, Gospel of Mark, Mystery of the Kingdom. It may seem like a little bit of a jump to go from last week's message, Jesus is interacting and healing blind Bartimaeus, jumping right to the cross to finish this out. But in between those things, really right after the healing of blind Bartimaeus is what we call the triumphal entry, what we celebrate at Palm Sunday, in the events of what we call Holy Week, where Jesus is going into the temple and he's clearing out the money changers and he's teaching and he celebrates the Passover with his disciples. He institutes what we call the Lord's Supper or communion with his disciples. He tells them, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, he then goes to pray. He's arrested. He is brought before the Jewish ruling council. He's then brought before the, the Roman authorities and he is tried quickly in darkness and, and sentenced to death on a cross. And it brings us right here to the cross. So those events that we're in some ways kind of skipping over are events for those of you who are Christians, are probably familiar to you that we reflect on uh, each year, particularly in the season of Lent where we remember these events. But we come now to the crucifixion. And I want to focus on three aspects of this. First is the darkness, verse 25. It says it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And then look at verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So where did the darkness come from at noontime? And people have had different theories about what happened. Some say, well, it must have been some kind of solar eclipse. But they just celebrated the Passover, which means it was a full moon. And you can't have a solar eclipse on a full moon. You get a solar eclipse when it's a new moon which we'll learn next month when there's a big solar eclipse in our nation, so you'll see that. It was not a full moon, it's a new moon, so it's not an eclipse. Others might say, well, you know, it's part of the world that can be very dry and, and dusty and perhaps a kind of a wind storm and a dust cloud would darken the sky on this particular day, although, again, it was the time of the Passover, which is the wet season, the springtime, and less likely to have that kind of a storm, not likely. What's happening here is this is a supernatural darkness. This is a darkness that God brings to the world in this time. Think about God's kingdom, back it all the way up. We're thinking mystery of the kingdom, go all the way to the founding of the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, it's void, and it's dark. And the first creative act of God is to speak light. Let there be light. And the light comes into the darkness and God said, this is good. So as God is establishing the heavens and the earth, he speaks light into darkness. And wherever God's kingdom is, light is coming into darkness. The way the New Testament describes it in the Gospel of John is that in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the word was God, so you have God and Jesus together, and they are creating. Nothing is created that hasn't been created by Jesus. And it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So we have, we have God the Father and God the Son choosing to create all things, and it's all about light shining into darkness. That's how, this is a kingdom of light. So where God is present and at work, there is light. And apart from God, there is darkness and death. 
Now, in establishing God's kingdom on earth, you need, for a kingdom, you need a king and you need subjects. That is essentially a kingdom. Land helps if you have land. But even without land, if you have a king and you have subjects, you can essentially have a kingdom. So God creates people and we are his subjects that are ruling with him in his kingdom. But the subjects rebel against God and against his kingdom of light. That's sin. And in a spiritual sense, that brings about a spiritual darkness. And that's when, if our world revolves around anything but God, if God is the light and our lives revolve around him, then we see things clearly. We, we see the light. We understand it. If our lives revolve around anything else, no matter how good it is, if it's your family or your career or a relationship, as your life revolves around other things, that is darkness, and darkness is disorienting. Life does not make sense when these other things are at the center. That's not how God designed his kingdom to work. And darkness is, is very disorienting. I don't know if you've ever been in utter darkness. It's actually very rare in our world for us to be in utter darkness because there's just so much you know, ambient light out there and artificial light. But true darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Or if you've ever known somebody who's had a vision impairment or a, a degenerative vision and you lose sight, it's just very disturbing and disorienting, even if you know it's going to happen. Even as prepared as you are, the darkness disorients. And, and spiritually, when God's people, when we his people rebel and sin, we end up with this disorienting darkness and the world does not make sense. But praise God. He is a God who calls his people out of darkness back into his kingdom of light. And God made a promise to a man named Abraham, and he said, through you and your descendants, the whole world, all nations of the world will be blessed and, and as people are being drawn back into a kingdom of light. And then fast forward, God's people, the, the nation of Israel, the, the Jewish people, they were, there was a time when they were in slavery in Egypt at the time of the Exodus. And they were calling out to God, and God was rescuing his people, and they were being uh, enslaved and oppressed. And God is bringing his judgment against the oppressor, against Egypt. And there's a whole bunch of judgments and plagues against Egypt. And the last two plagues were darkness and death. God's judgment is coming, and it's bringing against the evil, and it's it's darkness and its death because his kingdom is light and life and the greatest judgment of that kingdom is to be separated from the light to be cast into the darkness and to experience death so when god comes to judge there's darkness and there is death and this is predicted in the prophets hundreds of years before jesus isaiah chapter 13 says See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy sinners within it. So there's sin and God is coming to judge and to destroy this. It says the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. So when, when evil and sin is being punished, there is darkness and judgment. The prophet Amos 
is speaking of the day of God's judgment. Amos 8, 9 says, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. That's what's going on here. God's judgment is coming. God's judgment against sin and wickedness, and there is darkness in the middle of the day. But the punishment here is not falling on evildoers. The punishment is falling on Jesus. So we have the darkness. God's judgment is coming. Secondly, we have the death. Jesus' death on the cross. A cross is humiliating death. It is a bloody and a slow death. You die of the sheer trauma of the act or you suffocate there on the cross. It is a terrible death. But the cross was God's plan. God knows all things. When God established his kingdom on earth, when God established the universe, he knew that the cross was going to be necessary. When he, God, God knows all things. Even knowing that the cross was necessary, God, you know, God, Jesus could have avoided the cross. Here's how you avoid the cross. You don't create humans. You don't create us. Yet, knowing that the cross was the plan, God, in his love, created us anyway. That it was worth it. It tells us a great deal about God's love. So this is his plan. So on the cross, all the prophecies about the suffering of Jesus are, are being fulfilled. And there's so many, we don't even have time to go through them all, but there's so many prophecies that get fulfilled as Jesus is there on the cross. I'll take some just from Psalm 22. So Psalm 22 starts out, and this again, hundreds of years before Jesus, starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These same words that Jesus cried out. Psalm 22, 7 all who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen through 18. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You know, when Jesus cries out on the cross, you know, I thirst. Again, Psalm 22 says, You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among themselves and cast lots for my clothing. All these things that happened to Jesus, again, foretold in time past. And, and here we have it being fulfilled. It's God's judgment against sin and darkness is being handed out, and it's all falling on Jesus on the cross. And this is how the New Testament describes it. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or in Galatians chapter 3, describes it like this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus becomes the curse. He becomes sin on our behalf. And as the disciple Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Christ is taking on, Jesus Christ is taking on the, the ultimate curse of sin. It's being cast into the darkness and, and into death. And as he's experiencing this agony, he cries out, My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? It's hard to even grasp the the torment and the, the torture of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This splitting apart. You know, God and Jesus, eternally coexistent, you know, creating all things, and now a separation, a, a darkness on Jesus. My God. If you're in a broken relationship with somebody you don't care about or don't know well, it's no big deal. You know, you don't like me, I don't like you, we'll just go our separate ways. But for someone you love deeply, you know, my Clancy. You know, my, my son, my daughter. You know, if, if, if those relationships become harmed in any way, it's, it, it's it, the depth of it. Now, here with the Father, God the Father and God the Son, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is part of the reason that we become frustrated in life, and we become fearful in life, and we don't understand God's kingdom because we didn't experience what Jesus experienced. We didn't go through that anguish. There's two types of people in this room right now. People who have by faith received what Jesus did for them and, have, and know that grace and you did not have to suffer because Jesus suffered on your behalf. Or you are someone in this room who God is being very patient with and you have not experienced what Jesus experienced, the darkness and the turning away. But because we lose sight of it, either because we've, just because we haven't had to go through it, when we lose sight of it, we become terrified of other things. We don't know the true terror of being separated from God. But we become terrified of other things in our life, which in light of this are very, are much less important. Important things, but much less important, much less terrifying. But we thank God that he's done this for us. That he took the, the punishment that we deserve. You know, the people are standing there crying, you know, come off the cross, Jesus. If you come off the cross, then we'll believe in you. It, we believe because he didn't come off the cross. We can put our faith in him because his love went all the way. If Jesus comes off that cross, then there is a limit to God's love. That there is a point at which it would be too much. But because Jesus went all the way, God's love goes all the way for you. Therefore, whatever you face in life, whatever frustration you feel, whatever you can't figure out, whatever fear you have, God's love it goes all the way into that. No matter what this earth can throw at you, God's love is greater. And Jesus is up there on the cross, not coming down off the cross, saying this is what God's love is like. This is how big God's love is. It's, it's limitless. And he cries out and he dies. So we have the darkness of God's judgment, and then we have the death to Jesus, and finally the door. Look at verse 38. It says, The curtain of the, of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Well, what is this? What is the curtain? Why is that significant that it's torn? The curtain in the temple was, this is where God's people would go to worship, this is the place where God's presence could be experienced and known in the most holy place. And there was a thick curtain that separated God's presence and God's glory from the people. And only the most holy person on the most holy day after 
accomplishing all the correct sacrifices, could enter into that most holy place. And now that barrier, it was a very thick curtain, more like a wall. Now this is torn in two to signal that this is the end of those sacrifices. The, the way to God's presence is now wide open. There, there is no more barrier. God is saying, you can come into my presence because Jesus has paid the price once and for all. And, and now that this curtain is torn and God's presence can be experienced wide open, that's the mystery of the kingdom is now lifted. This, the, the mystery of the kingdom has now been revealed. The mystery of the kingdom is this, is that the holy of holies, the, the, the presence of God is open to everyone. Not just Jewish people, not just one family of people, but of all people. That we can enter into his presence and he can enter into ours because Jesus has made the way. The Apostle Paul described it like this. This is Colossians chapter 1. He's describing the mystery that was kept hidden for ages and generations. So he's talking about the mystery of God's kingdom. It was hidden for ages and generations, but has now been disclosed to God's people. And he says, God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of the mystery, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you. The hope of glory. The mystery of the kingdom is that God can enter into us and we can enter into his presence by faith. It's torn wide open. The proof that this is possible is we have this centurion, this soldier who's standing there. So we have the curtain torn top to bottom. Verse 39, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Was the son of God. First one to confess Jesus as son of God. Remember the disciples said, you are the Messiah. Blind Bartimaeus said, you are son of David. You're the anointed king who was to come. And now this soldier says, that's son of God. That is God from God. God in the flesh. Surely that's what it is. And this centurion is not a Jewish person. Doesn't know Psalm 22. Hasn't been walking with Jesus as Jesus is predicting his death. Doesn't know all the background. But you know what this person does know? He knows how to kill people. He knows death. He's probably seen many, even perhaps even hundreds of people die. <clears throat> and he sees Jesus on the cross and he hears him cry out. And he hears him cry his last, which we know is recorded. It is finished. And knows that Jesus has accomplished something. He sees this, the darkness and the judgment. And he says, this man was the son of God. Today you might be here and say, I don't know all these, the prophets and all the background and all this Jewish stuff. But if you look to the cross and you see what Jesus did and you understand that God's judgment went on Jesus and not on you. You know that you're living in darkness. You know that you've sinned. And, you, and God is calling you back into his kingdom of light. You, just like this soldier, can say, Jesus is the son of God and I receive by faith what he did for me. And you can be turned from your darkness into this kingdom of light. The 
The door is wide open. For those of you here today who, who understand that, you've, you've received that by faith, my encouragement to you is to take this with you into your week. Jesus did set an example for us to follow. He said, okay, now you take up your cross and follow me. The, the problem with that is Jesus set up a nearly impossible situation where we fall so short of giving our all. But praise God, he's not just my example, he's my savior. That he, for all the ways I fall short, I don't have to constantly be striving to earn God's favor. He's just given it to me. He's taken all my brokenness, all the darkness. He's taken the punishment for that, that I can live. I've received that grace, and that's a grace that changes you. That's a grace that allows you to see the world as God intended it, to see his light and to see his, his life. You see that the suffering of Jesus was not just senseless, but there, there was purpose to it. And when things happen in your life that seem senseless and not in the right timing and just frustrated or you're fearful that God has a greater purpose that he's accomplishing in his kingdom, it's not senseless. Even if it doesn't fit what we would want from God, you see Jesus losing the love of the Father. You see him taking on the darkness of death because he loved you. That is a love that will shatter your darkness and open your eyes to his light, and it will reorient your life to his kingdom. Amen.